Hi gang, it's Ian here from the Red and Blue Review and welcome to another in our series, Zero to Hero, where we talk to club legends about not just their time with Palace, but their career as a whole. So today's guest is a firm fan favourite. He played for Palace between the years of 1970 and 1988, scoring a whopping 35 goals, amassing an even larger 660 appearances in the process. He is the only post-war Palace player to have been awarded two testimonials as a result, and he won the Fans Parody Year trophy on three occasions. So it can only be the one and only Mr. Jim Cannon. Hi Jim, how's things? How are you? I'm very well, Ian, thank you. That's a very nice introduction. Okay, well, well should we end it there then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't get any better. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll let the, uh, the followers decide that once they've seen this. Well, again, once again, thank you. Uh, uh, as you know, this is probably, this is a little series where we've been uh, interviewing past players, uh, heroes of ours, hence the title, um, about their career in general. So, uh, before we actually move on, actually, I just wanted to know if you could clarify something for me. When researching the stats for the opening about the 660 appearances, I got, I got between 571 and 663. Can you, but the club record say 660. Can you confirm? Are you going to claim another three appearances or take some off? Or? Uh, no, I don't really know. I always thought it was 661, but I wasn't counting. So it's just. Listen, mate, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to change it now. So it's going to see 661. But, and, the, and the goals, do you want to claim any more goals? Uh, no, that's, I think that's a fair amount, 39 goals, I'll settle for that. 39? I only said 35, why are you claiming another well, I heard it was, what about I heard it was 39. Listen, well, okay. I tell everybody it's 39. So. Listen, the, the, one thing, the one consistent factor is you were there, right? No <laughs> yeah. one else was, so yeah. I'll, we'll go with that, we'll bow with that and we'll change all the data as a result, all the stats as a result. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Uh, Tell me how you got into football in the first place and uh, what are your earliest memories of playing football as a kid? Uh, just on a regular basis, basically every day, every evening, of having a football and playing wherever I could with my, my mates. Not so much. when I, I was brought up in the Gorbals, uh, quite a, a slummy region, I suppose. Uh, and I left there about... Eight, I think so. I don't actually remember kicking. We wouldn't have had a football in them days. Um, it would have been tin cans, whatever. But I don't remember much about football in them days. The, I do. There's one thing I remember. So th- this is just coming back to me. My mum, my dad was a, a labourer. He, he was a, an Irish navvy, and he used to have a gang of men. He'd go all over the country, digging holes and doing whatever he did. And uh, But he was an old-fashioned Irishman. He'd come in, he'd always sit down, have his dinner, he would have a jacket and a tie on uh, and a shirt. That, that was how he was in the house all the time. And I always remember my mum saying to him, uh, do you want to take him over the park? And he sort of went, mm, well, if I've got to. And I used to, in them days, I was a goalkeeper. I used to play in goals. Okay. And uh, 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 we went over the park. Glasgow Green was just like two minutes away from where we lived. And uh, I always remember him trying to kick a ball to me in goals. And after about five minutes, I said to him, Dad, this is no good. You can't kick a ball. 
you're not enjoying this. Let's go home. Just tell mum we had a good time. That That's the only thing I remember about football back when, where I lived in them days. And then I, I moved to like this like council house thing. We moved out more countryside. And, and that's when I met a lot of lads and everything. Football was, it was football in the school. Uh, I, I played... When I was 15, I was a goalkeeper right up until I was 15. And I never really played out. And then I started playing out with the under-15 school team. Uh, and then I, start, I, I, I then varied it between playing out and then I played. I, I would normally stay behind uh, after we played our game, say, 10 o'clock. I'd stay behind and play then, always in goals for the under-18s because they never had a goalkeeper. Okay, and, well, uh, I mean, goalkeepers are, are like hen's teeth, certainly for, <laughs> you know, youth football, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I loved it. I, I, I was in all the Scottish school trials. I actually just packed it in. Uh, I, I just didn't fancy it anymore. I played, uh, how I ended up down at Palace is I played for a, a, an under-16 team called Part- uh, Glasgow Amateurs. And my teammates were Kenny Burns, Frank Gray, uh, I, I would imagine that probably every one of the players that played in that team went on and played some sort of pro, some sort of pro or good amateur level, and uh, th- that's when I actually went to Manchester City uh, just before I come to Palace. Come come down to Palace, and they asked me to come back again, and, and then I signed. So, so so talk to me about um, the scouting that went on then. So, so I'm assuming it was the City scout that picked you up first. Then was it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't remember what his name was or anything, but yeah, it was. Uh, I, again, I would have been playing for uh, Glasgow Amateurs, and they just obviously come knocking on your door. Would you like to come? Want to take you down to Manchester for a week's trial? Uh, so, I what were your that. what were your thoughts when when that that knock on the door happened? Was it something you were interested in? Was it something that you were intimidated by? I mean, what uh, did your parents think? Um, well, Glasgow wasn't a nice place to live in them days. You know, like it was, it was not, everything was sort of localised. There was gangs in one area. Mm-hmm. So unless you went out with all your mates, you couldn't go a couple of hundred yards down the road because it was another local territory. Uh, so it was, uh, you were quite restricted. Pubs shut at 10 o'clock. So, and we were half an hour away from the town. So we'd have to get on buses and, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a great place. So I think when you know I don't remember a lot about the the Manchester City trial, but I remember the guy coming around the house and just explaining to me mum and dad. And I think they were they knew. I mean, I don't. I wanted to to be a footballer from day one, from as as early as I can remember. I wanted to play football. Whether I I knew I was going to going to or, or not is a different matter, but. I jumped at the chance to get down. I actually went down with another player that played in my school team. And uh, we had a great week down there. You know, nothing materialised from it. Uh, and then the same thing happened with the Crystal Palace scout. So, uh, so, so did the Palace scout scout you from the team or did they have contacts maybe with Man City? I, and- no, I think he was, uh, he was uh, a scout. He worked for Crystal Palace in Glasgow. 
It's just a Glasgow lad. Like I would imagine, lots of clubs have scouts in local areas, and they just send players down. So that that's how I ended up down. And it was only, it was obviously more uh, serious the second time he come when he he obviously said that they probably want to sign you. So I don't know if my mum was happy about me leaving Glasgow and well, exactly. and so, a sixteen-year-old. So. Well, I mean, it's such a young age, and uh, not just that. I mean, Glasgow to to Manchester is, is a fair journey for at that age, but then to go all the way down to London. Mm. So, what was that like again? As like as you say, sixteen, seventeen year old, having to travel. I'm assuming you travelled down on your own, did you? Or yeah, yeah, I just packed a bag, as much stuff as our once I'd signed. Uh, I went home, come back. Uh, I always remember uh, Arthur Rowe meeting me at the station. I hadn't a clue who Arthur Rowe was. This old guy, sort of old raincoat, and like took me to to my digs, which was. And I never, I can honestly say, I never really got homesick apart from the first set of digs I was in, and it was there was three or four of us, and it weren't, it just weren't homely at all. And I thought. I don't like eating the food. I mean, the, the food was awful. The lady, <laughs> the lady couldn't cook. You know, we actually, we actually used to. She'd bring in the, these burgers and chips, but God knows what they were made of. And there was a little, little air vent on in the corner of the house, and we used to throw the food through this air vent until we realised that the next day that uh, when we went down the steps there was a little gully down, it was like a, a basement area. Yeah. And all this food was lying down. So we, so we had to nip down there and clear it all in case she saw it. But that that was the only time that I didn't feel that, you know, obviously I'd, I loved being there, but I didn't like where I was. And then they sorted me out with regular digs with uh, an Irish couple in Fortnite. And uh, they were brilliant. And Fantastic. It was, Fantastic. Like home, it was like home from home. And have you ever reminisced about that period and maybe been past it every now and again just to say, you know, I remember like 30 years ago? Uh, I, no, but I, I do notice that I go on Google Earth and Google where I used to live in school. And you can see a, pi- a pile of rotting old food on, on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a Google Earth back in Glasgow. I don't... I don't Google Earth. I think that was Fulton Heath. No, I don't Google Earth. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that's so that explains what it must have been like, you know, uh, and and the start of the journey. But then, then you arrive at the club. So, how intimidating was that actually at the club? I mean, had you heard much about Palace? Were you aware of of where it was? Um, you know, and and who was the youth team coach at the time then? Well, the youth team coach was Ernie Wally, uh, who obviously went on. He was caretaker manager for a while. Um, but I, talking about Crystal Palace, my friends, like we all loved football at 15. We were all sort of Saturday night because there was no way we could get in pubs around like that at that time. So we used to go to the off-licence. We'd grab some guy who buys a load of flagging of sort of cider, a load of beers, and we go back to one of the lads' houses, and we just watch the football. And uh, I we remember, I always remember, I'd never heard of Crystal Palace, and uh, I was watching. I thought, oh, I like that. I think it was the claret and pinstripe blue strip that they had. 
And uh, they'd obviously just get into the first division a couple of years before, a year before. And uh, I thought, oh, that, that's quite... And that was the first time I'd heard of Crystal Palace. So when they actually asked me down, I knew who they were. So, like, but yeah, Andy Wally was youth team coach, and like he was fabulous, great. Was he? And as you say, he went on to actually manage for a time as well, didn't he? Yeah, he was. So. He was probably the hardest guy I've ever come across. Both his in his training and his mannerisms. He was an ex army physical education instructor, and uh, he could. He he was brilliant, but he loved his pigeons. And oh, wow. if, you could, if you could get him on he talking about pigeons, he, he was brilliant. I always remember a story. I'm going off time. No, no, here. please. This is what it's about. Do it. Anecdotes. I, I can't remember where he lived. Uh, Kenley, somewhere. But he, but he, he lived, always found his way home. He lived near Peter Nicholas. And Peter had just gone to Arsenal. So they used to... Uh, train at London Colney, I think it was, and they used to travel there when they were having a way match. So early one Friday, or one Saturday morning, went round to Nichols, said, look, I've got a basket of birds here. He said, when you get to London Colney, just let them out. It's just a training session. About 11 o'clock on the Saturday night, no birds. So he's phoned Nico up. Nico says he'd forgotten all about the birds. <laughs> he went to the boot. He says he opened the, the boot up, opened the cage out, and the, uh, the basket out, and the birds jumped out and walked home. He said they were that knackered. <laughs> <laughs> but that was Nico. Nico won the brightest spark. <laughs> yeah, did, did that ever come up in conversation with Mr. with Ernie Wally then about his? Oh pitches? yeah, Ernie knew about it. Yeah, like he phoned Nico up and he went, "Oh, sh- sugar." He says they're still in the boot of the car. They've been there all day, like eighteen well, hours probably. I'm sure it could have been a lot worse had he not got the phone call. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you're saying that he was hard. Tell me about was it training? Was the training ground at Old Colston at that time? Um, training going Old Carl Shulton, Shulton wasn't it? Uh, it was anywhere and everywhere in them days we trained we do a lot of training up at Crystal Palace the, the centre what the actual park itself okay no the, the running track up there yeah, yeah. we used yeah. to go up there um, we train outside we train on the terraces a lot we train out in front they used to have the school alongside where the main entrance is yeah, the girls' school there. We used to train there all the time. Um, we we train anywhere. Um, but I um, Mitchum. I can't remember if we were at Mitchum then. We used to train out at uh, Beckenham. Um, the I think it was the bus garage depot place. Uh, out by oh, everywhere then. It was a- anywhere I mean, and everywhere. I mean, I can, I can imagine. Uh, the terraces doing doing the the terrace runs up and down that must have been an absolute killer. Yeah, in the back the back of the Arthur Wake stand, we used to do a lot of running on the on the back there behind the uh, the, the gangway at the back there. We used to do yeah, it, we, we weren't sort of like <laughs> what they've got now. We, the good old days. Yeah, we used to anywhere and everywhere. Excellent. Right. Okay. So. You're making a name for yourself in the youth team, clearly, with a number of the others. And then you get the call to sign a contract. 
Now, what was that for your first pro contract? What was that like? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, it's it's what you strive for. I mean, Ernie, Ernie was really good. He, he says the hardest part of my job is letting people go. So if I've if I've signed as a sixteen year old, most maybe half the lads have signed at the same time. So, and then it's it's their turn to go in and see the manager, and and they come out, and I've seen loads of lads come out crying their eyes out, coming out smashing doors and like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I think because I'd already played for Scotland Youth, uh, I'd, I'd sort of, I, I wasn't surprised that I was. I knew I was going to get a, a pro contract. It was just you don't know the length and you don't know for how much. Bert Head was manager then, and he didn't like to give nothing away. So, I mean, I left Glasgow. Things haven't things haven't changed much actually, have they? Uh, no, probably not. I left Glasgow as a. 16-year-old, I was working with my dad on a building site, and I was earning, just sort of like cleaning up, basically, earning, as a fifth, I left school at 15, I was earning £13 a week. I signed for Palace for £7 a week. Wow. They paid £5 for my digs, and the day I reached 17, I got £8 a week. But that was standard. That was not, that was right through football. That's how it was. So, and I guess I, I guess that a lot of us would harp for those times again, you know, having a, a proper beard. I mean, don't get me wrong; I think some players are worth their money, but others are clearly. It's yeah, I think, think since the agents have got involved, I think it's uh, in a big way. And Bosman, I think it's uh, people justifying their uh, their wages. It seems to be a lot harder nowadays, doesn't it? Well, there's lots of players that just don't warrant it, but. I suppose if there's half a dozen players on 80 grand a week that are good, then other players are going to be somewhere near that because that's how it's set out. You know, like if you're playing in a team, earning players earning 200 grand a, a, a week, you're going to be earning 60 or 70. And you're probably just a dog's body. You're just an average player. So it, I think... The, the way football is, there's a hell of a lot of players that are not that very good that are earning lots of money on the back of other players. Yeah. But to be fair, the, the Bosman ruling was the best thing that ever happened to football because up until then, clubs had you, could do what they wanted with you. Just throw you on the scrap heap, sell you, bring you in, sell you, you'd know. So I was quite pleased to see that. But I think at the moment, it's... It, Probably a bit obscene the money they get, but good luck to them. You know, like career's not that long, so. But this is it. This is it. And as you and as you quite you know, uh, expert excellently described the trauma at the other end of the system, where you know kids are kids are being hoovered up by all these academies and everything else yeah. in the expectation that maybe make a career in it, and then they're just left crying. And and I'd you know it'd be interesting uh, if we can speak to someone at the club maybe at a later date with regards to how we as a club deal with that and manage those and, and, and help the kids move on. Because I think that's that's certainly an area of football that um, I think could certainly be uh, improved at these in these current times as well. Yeah, I mean, I always remember Ernie used to always sort of sit us all down and he would say, look, I can never guarantee you that I'm going to make you a professional footballer. He said, but when you leave me, you'll be a better person. And and that stuck with me like all through my career. 
he he was just such an honest guy and he instilled a discipline which was probably quite common in them days because we had to clean the terraces. We had to do, I mean, we, we, I always remember me and I think Dave Swindler or Paul Hinsworth had the uh, home team dressing room and we used to clean it and you had a big communal bath. We had to clean the whole lot, polish all the wooden seats, everything, the floors, every single thing. And we'd be there till about five o'clock on a Friday ready for the first team to come in the next day. And uh, he'd walk round and he'd go, yeah, great, lovely. And then he'd put his finger at the top of the architrave by the door and there'd be a little bit of dust. And he'd just say, start again, the whole lot. <laughs> it's like, so you, you learned to do things properly. Basically, early, early stage. It was clearly, uh, clearly his uh, army career coming into that, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 without a doubt. But again, as you say, purely because the next time you knew that you wouldn't miss anything, so you done it properly. And you were told once, and there was no fun leaving the club at eight o'clock on a Friday night. Today, <laughs> you are kids. Any of you watching this, thinking you know, thinking how easy it is just to turn up, yeah. muddy, throw your kit in a bag for someone else to do it. Someone else has got to do it, and yeah. even the pros in it back in Jim's day were doing it. So, you know, a bit of respect for everyone, everyone in lower tier football and, you know, keeping clubs going. Respect to you. Right. OK, so we move on then your breakthrough into the first team. Now, again, doing a little bit of research on this, because uh, I, I, in all honesty, Jim, you are a massive hero of mine. But I was just a little, little too young to remember your breakthrough in into the team, um, although you wouldn't guess it. Um <laughs> Uh, you were, you actually didn't you actually come through into the first team as a left back or weren't you thought of as a left back? Well, no, I come I come in. I made my debut against Chelsea centre half. And that's, yeah. That was the first game Malcolm was in charge of. He came in on the Friday. I think Terry Long had said, "Look, he's ready to play." I think uh, it was John Bell was a centre half. He was injured, and uh, so he played me. But then, like we were. It was a relegation fight. We had about 10 games left. Uh, my three games were then Manchester United away on the Tuesday night and Sheffield United away on the Wednesday. And uh, he, after them three games, he said, look, Jim, he said, the other lad's fit. He said, I need the experience. Like we, we, Otherwise, we might get relegated. Well, we did get relegated. Uh, and then it was the following season, I, I was a bit part. I, play, I think I played about 16, 17 games. So I was in and out because um, we were still struggling. Uh, and then it was towards the end of that season, I think he suddenly said, I fancy you as a left-back. And I ended up playing left-back for a few seasons. Okay. Well, although it was wing-back, because that's when he went to the 3-5-2. You know, people think, oh, that, that system was invented like 20 years ago. We were playing it in 1975, 76. I mean, the boys on the show, we often talk about, me and Joe in particular, we we often talk about uh, it's not going to be long before sweepers are back in fashion. So, <laughs> you know, everything's cyclical, isn't it? I mean, I yeah, guess. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. But, um, going back to your debut, uh, obviously it was against Chelsea. You score on your debut. You must have thought this football lark's easy, this first this first yeah. team lark's easy. But can you remember actually in a nod Say that you were in, you were going to start, and was that like a couple of days before? Was that on the morning? 
Well, how were you feeling about that? No, it was, it was uh, we all we all turned up. I'd been sort of around the squad. I used to train, uh, although I hadn't played. I'd played in a couple of Anglo-Italian things. And um, so when Malcolm came on the Friday evening, all the first team and me and a few of the reserve players were called in. Uh, just sat down and he came in and introduced himself and uh, and then they just Terry Long said to me uh, report at two o'clock tomorrow and that was all that was said so I thought well just in and around the squad again bear in mind we're, you'd only have one sub in them days and uh, Malcolm came in he read the team out and my name was there I, I just didn't expect it at all so and that, that was it. So I didn't, I, whether they'd done that on purpose, so I didn't have to think about it. I mean, I had one hour to think about Mark and Peter Osgood. So it was, uh, that was probably a, a good thing. I didn't have to dwell on it too much. And were there, were there any lessons that you learned playing against someone like Peter Osgood on your debut at that young an age that you can still look back upon and say, yeah, do you know what? I picked up so much. From him because he was a fearsome striker, wasn't he? He yeah, he was he was a good player. I, I learned not to get too involved too early. I think I got overexcited and I got booked very early on. And I thought I'm not going to be able to tackle him again. You know, like bear in mind in them days, you you, you t- maybe seven or eight tackles before you get booked. But the referee, I don't know if he took a dislike to me because maybe he was a Peter Osgood fan. But I'd, I'd only tackled them twice, and the second one was a nothing. But uh, I just said, welcome to the game, Ozzy. <laughs> like that. Yeah, I, I, oh, wow, I bet you love that. <laughs> because, again, you know, that uh, Osgood and the strikers of that generation, they were just as good at tackling <laughs> as the centre-backs, oh, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, and they would take they it and they would give it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an ambi-pambi game now, isn't it? There's like... Well, tackling's outlawed. It's, it's not a contact sport anymore, let's be honest. I, I don't mean... understand this tackling without following through. I, I don't... If you, if you win the ball and you follow through, you can't stop. Nobody seems to want to... Well, I don't think MD really knows how to tackle anymore because they're not... I mean, the, the tackling thing... I remember playing years ago when you could kick people at Kevin Keegan all over the place. Uh, it was just Don Rogers lighted it over and uh, I just got above Osgood and planted it in the back of the net. So... Again, you know, you just you just dropped it in there. Don Goodman, what was he like as a player? Don Rogers. We start getting this rivalry with uh, Brighton. Mm. 